Amen. We're going to go to the Word of God, and um, we are continuing our viral series, and the spirit of worship leads so well into what we're going to be talking about tonight, and um, I don't really have a, a text, so you can be seated. I'm just going to start talking, and we're just going to jump right in, but, but this viral series, I um, feel like it's a, 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 a series that is perfect for the time that we are in, because we're looking at the first believers, the history of the early church unfolded during the book of Acts. Last week, Pastor talked to us about the book of Acts, that it was written in a 35-year period. And if you could uh, imagine it this way, the, the book of Acts wraps its arms around the entire New Testament. Everything written in the New Testament, save for the three pastoral epistles of First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus, were written during the time period of the book of Acts. And so it encapsulates what the early church was like. And that church that turned its world upside down because the Spirit turned that church inside out. And we're looking at how faith first went viral. And, and they give us a close look at the faith of the early church, the same church that reached the world Dynamically, Last week we talked about being spirit empowered, that the church turned the world upside down because the spirit turned them inside out. Everything that happened in the church and, and in the interaction of Jesus and his disciples was an internal affair. Until on the day of Pentecost they were filled with the spirit and all of a sudden all that stuff that happened behind closed doors was blown out wide in the open because the church turned the world upside down. And the message we heard, how pastor preached that it spread from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And tonight, we're moving on, and I want to take you back tonight. I want to turn back time a little bit, back to when Christianity was not a religion, but was all about a person. Back to when believers were called followers of the way, named after the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. These were the original Jesus followers, the original Jesusites, the first disciples. And listen, there was no confusion in the ranks of the early believers. Jesus was the message of the early church. Jesus was the message. It was all about him. And the book of Acts is largely made up. In fact, a third of the book of Acts is speeches and sermons. And uh, there's spoken messages. And at the center of every one of these messages was the person and the power of Jesus Christ to change lives and to change the world. And so at that time in the early church, I just want to roll back time a little bit. The church was largely illiterate, and their inability to read forced them to be vocal. Their faith was passed on verbally in the form of songs and sayings and stories, and they even came to the point where they used emblems to express their faith, and they communicated with these early Christian emblems. I take you back to the city of Rome, a hot seat of revival during the time of Acts. Their two sites best express the lives of these early Jesus followers. One is the Colosseum, 
It was a portion, uh, or a portion of which still stands today, and the other is the catacombs. Christianity could be summed up between the Colosseum and the catacombs, because above ground in the Colosseum, the Christians were persecuted. They were brought and fed to lions because of their faith in Jesus. It was where they made their bold last stand for the message and the call of Jesus Christ. And beneath the ground were the catacombs. This is where they met in hiding to pray and to worship. It was They were persecuted above ground, but they prayed and worshiped and met in the catacombs beneath the ground. There are nearly 600 miles of galleries and caves in the Roman catacombs. And they are hallowed and carved by time's hand. They, they twist beneath the city of Rome, and within them lies the remains of those courageous first believers. Few of them could read, but scrawled throughout their tombs are powerful emblems of faith. A dove depicting the peace and the descending of the Spirit of God. There are anchors scrawled on those walls depicting a lasting hope that is beyond this world. There are pictures of a good shepherd carrying a lamb displaying their trust in the shepherd of their souls. There are hearts, there are sails, there are vines, there are all sorts of things written on the walls. But above them all, the most prevalent emblem in the early church was the fish. How many of you ever seen a fish on the back of a car? The fish. To better express their faith in a hostile culture that worshipped many gods, there was an acrostic form from the Greek word ichthys, which is the Greek word for fish. And what they did, much like we would take a word and make it into an acrostic, they took this word and they used the first letter of each word to convey a message about who they were, about what they were about, about what they were doing. It was an expression and an emblem of their identity and their worship. And it stands for this, Isis Christos Theo Soter. I probably said that way wrong. But that's what it stands for in English. It stands for this, Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior. And everywhere they went, they identified themselves by the emblem of the fish. I watched a video the other day, you can find them all over YouTube, of a guy going through Rome and finding the symbols of the fish out in open places. And it was signification to other Christians looking who had come to the city of Rome. Is there a community of faith here? And they chose to identify themselves with the fish. Could you put up the, the picture of the fish that I have, Brother Tommy? And, uh, and, and everywhere they would go, they would leave this symbol of the fish. And, and it was their identity. They were saying, we worship Jesus Christ, God, Son, and Savior. In life as well as in death, the fish served their purpose. In life written in the sand, it might have served as a secret symbol or password. But in death, it was inscribed upon tombstones. A lasting emblem of their faith. Jesus Christ is God, the Son of God, and my Savior. It was the most pronounced and prevalent way the early church identified themselves to one another. And here today we have emblems of crosses. We have all sorts of things. But for them it was the fish. 
and the fish was their identity. It was prevalent. And because the early believers identified themselves with the identity of Christ, they wanted the world to know that he's more than just a man. That he's, he's not just some teacher that's come along. This is not just another Roman revolution, but he is Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Savior of man. He is Jesus Christ, God come in flesh. There was no confusion for the first believers because they put the fish everywhere they went. It was who they are. They identified with the identity of Christ. For the early church, they understood who he was and what they were all about. And from the heart of Paul's letter to the church of, uh, at Colossae, he speaks smack dab in the middle of that book of Acts age. And he speaks about the seven superiorities of Christ. Follow with me just quickly in Colossians 1.16. He says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, both visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things. Somebody say all things. This was the view of the early church. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Listen to the language that Paul uses in those early church days. For him, by him, in him, through him, and so on. And so I want to look at three mindsets of a Christ-centered life from the early church. These three mindsets moved and motivated the first followers to spread the message of who Jesus is to the world around them. They, they, they just didn't receive it as, as some uh, religious rite, but they took it as their mission in life. And here's what they are. First of all, it's all in Him. Second of all, it's all about Him. And third of all, it's all for Him. If there are three mindsets that need to get back into the church today, if there are three mindsets that we need to walk with as Christians today, it is that we need to recognize that it's all in Him, that it's all about Him, and that it's all for Him. Now Paul said, is it alright if I slow down for a few minutes? I'm going to try to finish my notes tonight. I'm going to try to get through. But I, I just, I, I want to teach this. I want somebody to grasp this in your heart, how integral their view of Christ was in the early church. How Christ-centered they really were. Because Paul held that Jesus was preeminent. Somebody say preeminent. He was preeminent in all things. Because the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Him. And so their message was, it's all in Him. Preeminent speaks to the fact of surpassing all others in superiority. And the reason Paul says that Jesus was before all things, at the center of all things, and superior to all things, is that because it pleased Him that in Him, housed in Him, dwelling in Him, was all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's why Paul said that He is before 
all things because within him dwelt all the fullness. For in him it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell. In Colossians 2.9, Paul pushes the envelope even further because he says, For all the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in him bodily. Why is Jesus preeminent? Because he's not just a man. He's not just another teacher. He's not just another religious figure. He's not like Abraham. One greater than Abraham is here. He's not like Moses. One greater than Moses is coming. He's not just like the temple because one greater than the temple is here. And and scripture attests to the fact that all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him. The apostles believed that all deity dwelled in Jesus Christ bodily. All deity was in him bodily. And so uh, the Bible never uses a description of Jesus as a a second person or, or any of that stuff that we hear. It says that all of the Godhead, all of the Godhead dwells in his body. All of deity. I looked up the word in the Greek. It is theotes, which is deity. And it means divinity. All that is divine. Everything that is divine is dwelling, living, and breathing in the body of Jesus Christ. All the fullness of the Godhead, all the fullness of divinity. Everything that God is was in him. He wasn't a second rate or a secondary figure. But all of who God is, all the history of God, all the qualities of God, everything that God is, all of who God is was in Christ bodily. That was the message of the first church. That's what the apostles believed. And listen, this may be hard to understand, but all divinity is in Jesus' body. And so even if you do believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, you'd have to acknowledge that all of God's divine nature, Father, Son, and Spirit, are in the body of Jesus Christ. And I'm not not going to dive too deep into that tonight. But I want you to understand this. How many, some of y'all came back from the beach this week. Anybody in here that came back or, or were at a lake or water? Anybody had a bath lately? <laughs> Amen. This is all the non-beach people. The beach people are still recovering. <laughs> I've been to the beach. Anybody ever taken a, a bucket to the beach to build sandcastles and you dip the bucket in the ocean? Listen, all of what's in your bucket is ocean, Right? But all the ocean's not in the bucket. God did not cease being God when he came in flesh. All of what was in him was divine. All the fullness, every quality, all the character of God, all of who God is, that eternal spirit of God dwelt in Jesus bodily. And so all of what was in the bucket was ocean, but all the ocean wasn't in the bucket. That's why when Jesus is baptized, you hear a voice booming from the heavens. The Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's why we can see the dove descending and lighting on him in a beautiful picture of the new birth, of being baptized in water and filled with the Spirit, which we talked about last week. It's a beautiful picture. But that's why Jesus could pray to the Father because all of what was in him was God. But all of, all of the quantity of God was not in him, but all the quality of God was in him. Philip, in John 14, came to Jesus and he said, show us the Father. Philip said to him, 
14 verse 8, John 14 verse 8 said, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you then say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you and I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. That is in my flesh. But the Father who dwells inside of me, he does the works. He is the one that is empowering. And so Jesus was both man and he was God. He was human and unable to do all things but through the power and the indwelling spirit of God, God empowered and enabled him to do the works that he did. You see, Jesus taught that the Father, the eternal, transcendent spirit of God, dwelt, lived, housed, tabernacled in him. And in fact, John 10, 30, Jesus outright states that I and my Father are one. We are one. It's not a qualified one. It's literally one. Jesus is saying, I and my Father are one. When you have seen me, you have seen the Father. James tells us that Jesus is the express image of God's what? Anybody know it? I know there's a Bible quiz in here that knows it. Person. Jesus is the express image of God's person. How many persons in the Godhead? One person in the Godhead. And Jesus is the human manifestation of the eternal spirit of God. 1 Timothy 3.16 is is perhaps the oldest hymn. I I didn't even know this until I got into studying it. That that it's not just a scripture that Paul wrote. But it was one of the early songs of the early church. It was one of the things they got together and they sang when they worshipped. It was a point of of identity and worship for them. That it says, uh, for great is the mystery of godliness God was manifest in the flesh God was manifest in the flesh not the son was manifest in the flesh not uh, not a part of God not a, a member of the Godhead but God all of who God is was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit seen of angels preached unto Gentiles believed on in the world and received up into glory scholars say it's one of the oldest songs in the church why because the fish it was about the fish it was all in him and every time they'd get together they'd sing about it and when they wrote letters they'd write about it and when they preached sermons they would preach about it because it's all in him this changes everything in regards to our view of redemption story God didn't simply send another to save his people He didn't sacrifice a second member of the Godhead. But he came in the form of flesh to perform the work that we could not do on the cross. To pay the price that we could not pay in blood. That was the message that the early church latched onto. It permeated their preaching and their worship. That it is all in him. 2 Corinthians 5 and 19. And I know I'm throwing these out quick. That is that in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself. King James says it this way, to wit, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and not uh, imputing men to their sins. Not, not, he, he didn't come that we would be lost, but God in Christ striving for our salvation, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And Jesus 
taught that the Father dwelt in him. Not only that, but he taught that he would be the indwelling spirit in the believer. Follow me quickly. I'm just going to blaze through this because i got about 15 minutes left. Jesus taught that he himself would be the indwelling spirit in the believer. John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Speaking to his disciples. And he said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. He says, but you know him, for he dwells with you. But, well, let me, let me read it to you directly. He says, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And look at what Jesus says next. He says, I will not leave you comfortless in the King James. But he says in the ESV, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. You know what the word orphan means? If you really literally look it up, what it means is fatherless. He says, I will not leave you fatherless, but I will come to you. The spirit of the eternal God, the spirit of Christ living in us, empowering us as New Testament believers, indwelling us as New Testament believers. And listen, the early church latched on to the message of Jesus. Note that in the passages that I'm about to read, the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ are used interchangeably because Paul wrote about this same concept in Romans 8, 9. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He says, but if Christ is in you, well, is it Christ or is it the spirit of Christ or is it the spirit of God? He's using them interchangeably. He says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The early church believed that Jesus was the indwelling spirit in the believer. And everything rested on who Jesus was and is. It was the message of the early church. Jesus is God come in flesh. The first song perhaps that they sang, God was manifest in the flesh. It was foundational to who they were. And when Simon recognized who Jesus really was, and, and he declared, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus told Simon Peter, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but uh, 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 my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock, what rock? The foundational understanding of who Jesus is. Upon this rock, that Jesus is God. Upon this rock I will build my church. Do not make the mistake of thinking that Godhead theology is somehow disconnected to the expansion and the spread of revival in the church. It was connected. Upon this rock I will build my church. In the New Testament age the church rallied around the message of who Jesus is. He was more than a teacher, more than a leader, more than a scholar, more than a prophet, more than a man. They understood and declared that he was God manifest in the flesh, the express image of God's person. One of my favorite passages of scripture I, I discovered uh, at, at, 
anew in Bible quizzing. My kids learned it, but it's in Hebrews chapter 1. It starts off and kicks off with this revelation. He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world, and who the Son is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is a... a, 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 a a metaphor for the power of God. Jesus sat down and received all power in heaven and in earth. And having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. That was the message of the early church. God has done many things in many ways. But it's really all in Jesus. It all culminates in Him. It was all pointed at Him. And God has spoken in many times and in many ways and in many places. But now, in these last days, it's all in Him. It's all in Jesus. It's all revealed to us by the Spirit of God through the life. Of Jesus Christ. The early church understood who Jesus was. And that changed everything for him. They were a Christ-centered church. And they believed it was all in him. And they believed it was all about him. And they believed that it was all for him. Jesus wasn't just their message. He was also their method. And I just want to camp out here for a second. Because... It wasn't just all in him, it was all about him. It was all about him. You look at their sermons. They couldn't shut up about Jesus. They couldn't stop talking about who he was and what he had done. They never got to the place where they started promoting the church, where they started promoting ideologies, not the apostles, not the early church. They were consumed with the message of Jesus Christ. They knew and they had received the revelation that the fullness of the Godhead was in Jesus bodily. And they took that. And, and it was not just all in Him. It was all about Him. You see, in, in all of our sophistication in the modern church, we often grow distracted by programs, by policies, by worship methods and growth strategies. We get on Facebook and we type, defending our viewpoints. The fingers are flying everywhere. We like our style of liturgy. And the way that the others do it is wrong. And sometimes we become warriors for our candy stick more than we are warriors for the cross. Is anybody hearing me in the house tonight? Can I get a good amen? <laughs> Not the early church. They, they, they were focused on the message of Jesus. The reason the early church was effective was that their message was simple. It was the fish. It was Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior. Everywhere they went, everything they did, have you heard about the fish? Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior. That's the reason they were so effective. Listen to what Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 uh, Corinthians 2, verse 2, he says, For I decided, another version says, determined. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
They wanted to argue about circumcision, and Paul would write about circumcision. They wanted to argue about how much of Judaism we needed to follow, and Paul would write to correct that. But Paul said when he got to Corinth, and when he came in the spirit to that church, he says, I determined, I was doggedly focused. I had decided that I wasn't going to get mixed up in the messes and the squabbling and all the strife and the opinions of people. He said, I determined that among you I would know Christ and Him crucified. What Paul was pleading with that early church who was confused and had so many questions was you can't forget that it's all about Him. The reason that we're here, the reason that we are alive today, the reason reason that we are gathered in this place, the reason you're not still on a bar stool, the reason you're not living the way you used to live is because it's really all about Jesus. I decided to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. And He said, and I was with you in much weakness and fear and trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. He didn't, his Instagram would have had two followers. He said, I, I stumbled over myself. I didn't say the right words. I, I didn't have words of wisdom. But he said, I did have the demonstration of the spirit and power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. But in the power of God. It is clear that the apostles weren't living for fame. They weren't playboy preachers. They weren't those things. They weren't living for notoriety or recognition. But the message and the method of the early church was to know Jesus Christ and to make him known. And listen, I wonder if the reason that we're not as effective today is that we dabble in so many other things but telling people about Jesus. Amen. I'll just pat myself on the back for that one. I wonder if that's why we don't grow because when we start thinking about, well, we need to reach more people, what, what campaign can we do and what strategy can... And maybe we can, we can uh, do something to draw people in. And maybe we can do all that. But Paul said, when I came among you, I didn't have strategies. I didn't have speeches. But he said, I determined that I was going to know nothing among you. I didn't want your squabbles. I didn't want your tension. I didn't want your strife. I just wanted you to know Jesus. And I wanted to make him known. And I wonder what would happen in the New Testament if we got an early church mentality that said it's all in Jesus Christ. We recognize him that he is God come in flesh. And listen, if he was just a teacher, we can believe that and you can pass that off. It's not a big deal. But if Jesus Christ is God come in flesh, you've got to pay attention to that you got to tell somebody about that if God made an appearance here to pay for the sins of men and reconcile man to himself I was talking to somebody today not a member of this church and they said oh, I'm not that I, I'm a Christian but I'm not like a real serious Christian and I walked away and I thought what other kind is there I mean we're talking about God in flesh here we're talking about Jesus laying his life down on the cross for you and for me. And listen, if you're listening and, or you're in this room and you're not a serious Christian, it's time for you to wake up. Because it's all in Him and it's all about Him. And maybe the reason our world is, is tepid and, and we're not seeing the expansion of revival like we're believing for is because there's not enough Christians that are serious about Jesus. We need to get determined to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. We need to have conversations about Jesus with our friends that don't know Him. 
Don't you just hang out with people. Slip Jesus in the conversation. Put it on them. They'll thank you for it later. It's all about him. Somebody say it's all about him. Every message, every mission, every letter to the early church always pointed people back to Jesus. The early church didn't see themselves as an organization with a common mission. They saw themselves as people who were redeemed by Jesus so that they could bring others to know him also. It was all about him. That's why they had the fish. That's why they identified with the fish. It was the clear emblem of their faith. Who are we? We are the people of the fish. Jesus Christ, Son of God and Savior of the world. Jesus Christ, Son of God. Savior of the world. Listen to what uh, Philippians 3, 7, Paul said, but whatever gain I had, he said, I counted it as loss for uh, the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul said, I count everything as a loss in my life, but for knowing Jesus Christ, for Paul and for the early church, it was all about Jesus. Their salvation was bought by Him, resurrection attained by Him, status conferred by Him, righteousness imputed by Him. He was the cause and the effect, the center and the circumference of everything that the early church put its hand to do. Jesus was their method. You need healing, it's in Jesus. If you need deliverance, pray in the name of Jesus. If you need your sins washed away, be baptized in the name of Jesus. Jesus. And whatever you do, Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, everything that you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. That was the mindset. Jesus was at the center of everything. In the early church. They were constantly and continually leaning on him. And leading people to him. No wonder that Paul scolded the Galatians. And said. Listen to what. The, I've never noticed this before yesterday. He says I marvel. That you are so soon removed from him. I'm not baffled. That religious arguments would take place. I'm not baffled. That people would come in and preach another gospel. But. Paul looks at the Galatians who are being pulled back into the law. And he says, I, I'm blown away that you are so soon removed from him. Jesus, the cross, God, Savior, Son. I'm so, I'm so blown away. Not it, not us. But Paul said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him. Paul had it clear. The clear and present danger was that our religion would soon shift from the message of Jesus to the thousand other special interests, ideas, and doctrines that would come along. And in the early church, the message was strikingly clear. 
that Jesus was the message, that Jesus was the gospel, that he was the one that they had been looking for, and he was the method of the early church. We forget that they knew life before the Messiah. These first believers, they knew revelation without relationship. They knew all that. They had lived looking for the day of the coming of Messiah. They knew what it was to find no answer to the question, what would God look like if he came and showed up here? And so meeting Jesus changed everything for them because God had come in flesh and the church and its early message and method was all about him. Why, why were they so focused on him? Why? Philip races to Nathaniel in John 1.45 and he says, we have found him. We found him. The most colossal figure in history. The giver of life, liberty, freedom, salvation. The one who cleanses all sin and sickness. He's not just a theory. He's a theology. He's a reality. The early church had found him. The God of right now. The one who's more than enough. The very present help in time of trouble. The one who stops by funeral homes and says get up. And people actually get up. The one who stands in the darkest hours and whispers it is I. Do not fear. They found Jesus. Christ. God. Son. Savior. They found him. It was really all about him. Because the church is his body. He's the head. The new birth is his gospel. His death, his burial, his resurrection, the Holy Ghost is his spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The battle is his battle and the victory is his victory. He's not only the center of the Godhead, but Paul said he's the center of all creation. Listen, for by him were all things created that are heaven and earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things. Jesus is at the center of them all. By him all things exist, and by him all things consist. As the planets revolve around the sun, life revolves around Jesus. He is the center and circumference of the universe, the alphabet of life, the alpha, the omega, the one we're going to see in heaven, the one who will return for his bride. I want us to stand as I, I draw to a close. But I want to tell you that the early believers had viral faith because the message was clear. It's all in Him, and it's all about Him. Somebody say the last one with me. It's all for Him. What would motivate these people? Paul said all things were created by Him, and all things were created for Him. Listen, that means you. That means me. That means us. That means my emotions, my attitude, my dress, my time, my calendar, my money, my past, my present, my future. It's all for Him. And you know in those early believers, they were persecuted in the Colosseum. They worshipped in the catacombs. But they were willing to lay everything on the line for Jesus. Because they understood who He was and what He had done in their life. It was all for Him. Listen to what Paul said, or Peter said rather. He says in 1 Peter 1.18, he says, You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like gold or silver. He said, but with the precious blood of Christ. 
like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. I was bought with a price. Somebody say that. I was bought with a price. Not silver, not gold, but the blood of the Lamb of God. I am not my own. Everything that I do is for Him. The way that I act and the way that I live, the stands that I take, it's all for Him. What I do and what I don't do, it's not for me. It's all for Him. Every beating of my heart, every breath that I breathe, every step that I take, it's all for Him. My life is for Him. My death is for Him. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but for me to die is gain. It's all for Him. It's all about Him. And ladies and gentlemen, it's all in Him. I just want us to lift our hands right now. and Can we just say, Lord, would you let that mentality ring deep in our soul? God, bring us back to the simplicity of the message of who you are. God, let it be a wellspring of life. God, every day in our life, let us remember the fish, God, that you are the Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior. You're not just another religious figure, but God, you are my God. And I will ever praise you. I will ever serve you. I'll give to you. I'll witness for you. I'll reach the world for you. It's all for you, Jesus, because you've done it for me. Come on, somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. That's what we want to do. Amen. I want to ask our uh, brother Adam is going to be our usher tonight. He's going to help us out. You are welcome to give as you exit this building. But how many of you would love to see an early Book of Acts type of move happen in Monroe, Louisiana? Listen, it'll happen if we get those three mindsets. It's all in Him. It's all about Him. And it's all for Him. Let's pray for the offering. God, we give tonight because it's all about You. And it's all for You, God. And we pray that our giving would bless Your kingdom. God, that you would bring us here together again. And Lord, let the message of who you are spread, God. Let somebody hear about it in Jesus' name. God, give us opportunities to witness and to share who you are with people this week. In Jesus' name we pray and give you honor and glory. Would you wave at somebody as you leave? Don't hug. Amen. Wave on your way out. You're welcome to leave an offering. We will see you this Sunday. And remember the fish. Don't forget the fish. God bless you.